Yes, hello and welcome to Unplugged. We're back for week three. A big thank you to all of those that have downloaded the podcast over the first couple. You can get that via iTunes and Spotify and Pitcher and all of the like. And, of course, straight to Wooshka for our podcast channel. Darren Parkin is my name. Nick Splitter and Aaron McGrath will join me very shortly, as will a special guest on the program this week, which we'll unveil for you very, very shortly. We'll also reflect on, unfortunately, St Kilda's first defeat uh, since we started this little podcast a couple of weeks ago, a frustrating 22-point loss to Adelaide, a game that presented many opportunities. Unfortunately, we weren't quite able to nail it. Last home game for the club this week at Marvel Stadium. They do get a reciprocal home game against Carl the week after at the MCG, but last chance at Marvel Stadium for the group and hopefully a strong finish to the season ahead. We'll welcome our boys, as we said, Nick Splitter and Aaron McGrath. First of all, Nick, uh, nice to uh, have you with us after what was a pretty frustrating Saturday night. Yeah, nice to be back. It was frustrating a lot. Uh, didn't go right for us. We, we talked about it last week and... Pretty much everything we said kind of happened, except for all the good stuff that we said. Um, so <laughs> the things we were worried so about, yeah. The things that we were worried about kind of happened, and uh, you know, we just we just didn't handle it well. But we'll, uh, we'll touch on that later. We will, and, and HCA, yeah, we just couldn't quite nail the opportunities. There were plenty of them, though. No, had plenty of the ball, plenty of the ball inside the 50, just could not finish. Um, and we knew, we knew we were going to be able to get there, but just that last step, just to get them over the line, but... Not quite. Yeah, couldn't edge our nose in front. We spoke about reminiscing before we get into the round review. Last week, we spoke about our earliest memory. At the time that we are recording this podcast, it's the 20 or 31st anniversary of Robert Harvey's first game for St Kilda back in 1988. He played the last four of the season under Daryl Bulldock, also retired at around about this time uh, back in 2008. So his favourite Robert Harvey memory, whether it's one goal, one game, starting with you, H, do you have one well, that stands out? As you say, one goal. We've got to go back to Adelaide in 2005. Taking the mark in the pocket, mm. sliding it through, giving us the win in Adelaide. Which could have gone on further that year, but yeah, we we fell over the end there against Sydney, obviously afterwards. But and while we're on the topic, we actually came with audio. Here is that goal: Robert Harvey v the Adelaide Crows in the qualifying final of two thousand and five. So Fisher again out wide, Mill picked up by Hart, beautifully read Del Santo, got it to Mill, back to Del Santo into the pocket. Hart. What a game he played that night. An absolute blinder. Nick, yours? Uh, another another goal-kicking memory for someone who's not known for his goal-kicking, but he, uh, he slotted one from the boundary against West Coast in Perth um, in a game that, that we had no right to win, um, and he kind of pulled us over the line again in, in that game. That there's, there's a lot of memories. There's a lot of times that, that he really put us on his back and, and carried us through some some tough times and then some some good times coming to the, the end of his career. But uh, what, a, what a player. And here is that magical goal that Nick referred to from 1997. Harvey tries to take Simmons on, does. Buys another 20 metres from hard on the boundary. That's oh. a sensational kick. Oh, Robert Harvey, excellent work. They should rub that number 35 off his back and put a sign there that says, follow me. 
Um, I could have nominated, even in that Adelaide game, there was the other goal he kicked in the second quarter where he ran around the man on the mark and drew it from 50. But mine's also against West Coast, but a different game. Um, horrible season for St Kilda in a game we ultimately didn't win, but a draw against West Coast at the start of the year 2000 when um, St Kilda were mounting a rally in the last quarter. Our, our guest a little bit later on kicked seven in this particular game. But um, uh, Robert Harvey took the ball out of the middle, uh, lost possession, and then kicked it off the ground and chipped it over Ben Cousins and then ran onto it and kicked the goal from outside 50 on the run, which uh, drew us back. I think that's the best, one of the best goals he ever kicked. So, And here is the goal I speak of. Round 3, 2000 at what was then known as Colonial Stadium. And they're going forward. Colonial's kick was a wobble. Harvey brilliant. Harvey brilliant. Can he kick another one and really get the minute? Oh, he's done it. Oh, that's oh, magnificent. passages of play that I've seen in a long, long time. That's the one that stands out for me for Robert Harvey and certainly wish that he was rolling around at the moment, but we'll jump into our round review. The Saints footy review. Ball puck towards Ottenham Membry. Oh, long, took it, didn't need to break stride. Get into the celebrations now, Ben. But there's a little bit more to it. We've sort of started the process with the boys in regard to it's, you know, our offence wasn't quite there today um, the way that we'd like, and that's a bit of a credit to, to Adelaide as well. But defensively, towards the end, you know, they had five inside 50s and scored three times. So we have to defend longer or, you know, just defend when it's our turn at times. So I didn't think we did that as well as we could have at the start of the game, start of the second, and probably start of the third a bit. They got some scoreboard we couldn't put them under pressure enough to on the scoreboard to you know maybe bring out some cracks in their game or you know put that doubt in their head and uh, that allowed them to play the way they wanted to play for most of the night so one of the early highlights from uh, last week Ben Long's brilliant goal just before the quarter time siren off the outside of the right boot from 45 meters out and then Brett Ratton with a summary as to where perhaps the Saints weren't capitalising on the things they've capitalised on in recent weeks and allowed Adelaide too much momentum. And we spoke a little bit about just the inability to poke their nose in front at, at crucial stages uh, in that contest when they were really pressing that that might have raised some doubts for the Adelaide Crows. It was Adelaide 14-8-92, defeating St Kilda 10-10-70, 22-point result. Felt like they were within striking distance most of the way through. And we had a lot of good performance performers without a lot of dominant performers. And unfortunately, there were probably half a dozen guys that on the day were passengers, as harsh as that sounds. They just didn't quite uh, meet that. It's probably look at guys like Josh Battle, who I think felt the pinch first up after a couple out. He'll certainly be fine. Uh, some of the late-ins, McKenzie struggled a little bit. Parker, who was a late-in, struggled a little bit. They weren't expecting to play, obviously. And uh, I thought just we had a couple of guys that were just a fraction down. Nick Hind struggled a little bit, but certainly a game we could have won. Nick? Def- definitely, I think we, we could have won it. There were some moments that we just didn't execute in, in key moments. I think um, we, we heard Brett Ratton after the match talk about some of the things that the Crows did just a little bit better than us. And, and I think controlling the corridor, they controlled the ball a little bit better than we did. Um, just being able to hold the ball for, for longer and, and keep it in key moments when in the same sort of moments we would turn it over and, and lose control. Um, I think, yeah, like you said, there were, there were some, some players that uh, just didn't quite cut it on, on the weekend. Um, Matthew Parker, I've been a, a huge rap, at, rap for all season. Um, 
you know, I think we, we spoke earlier off, off air that, uh, you know, not too long ago he was playing the twos in, in the waffle. And, uh, I think maybe this year, the, the extra effort, the extra training, the, the AFL lifestyle and culture has probably caught up to him a little bit towards the end of the season. And, and he looked a bit, looked a bit cooked to me in, in the, the back half of this, this year. Um, but certainly showed enough to, to warrant, you know, why we picked him when, when we did. And, um, really excited to see what he brings to the table in, in future seasons. Yeah, and I think we pointed out last week that the one of the major problems was going to be the ball getters that they have of Laird and the Crouch boys, and I looked at that and saw that they had 102 possessions between the three of them, so sort of let them off the chain a little bit, and every time they, I mean, Laird, I don't think he missed the target all night. No. His kick out of the fence, it landed in one of their, in their hands every time. Um it's the one thing we said we needed to defend and make them kick over us, but they just got free too often. And you could see Eddie Betts having an impact in his first game back. You could sort of had that dreaded feeling when they picked him. And Taylor Walker got us last time and unfortunately got us this time as well. And there were a lot of frustrating goals. I mean, the, the one where he kicked it off the ground where we had two players in a goal square that couldn't rush it through. Um, just some of the, the turnovers out the back and... We know he's a good kick text, but but he was sort of nailing everything. And it's frustrating when guys that have had pretty ordinary years find their uh, find their mark for that particular occasion. But yeah, I just think the just a fraction off in a, in a few key areas. A number of players. Rowan Marshall. We've spoken a lot about him. Won the battle with uh, Riley O'Brien. He did. I think one that we missed um, really importantly was, was someone who's been you know, kind of pilloried over the last couple of years and been a bit of a whipping boy for for St Kilda supporters. Jack Nunes has played a really important role mm. for us in, in recent weeks um, as that defensive pressure forward, um, and he would have been the perfect guy to to negate the impact of of guys like Rory Laird um, out of the back half. and And I think we really missed his uh, defensive effort on, on Laird, but also the ability for him to spot up and hit a target when he had the ball. Um, he does have he does have a beautiful kick around the ground when when he has the ball in his hands and and has the the, the time and space to to hit a target. Yeah, we definitely uh, definitely did uh, miss a couple of those, and it's always unsettling. You're never sure what impact you know gastro and things like that have on the the group. And, and I guess the downside out of that, which we'll discuss in the match committee, is Jade Gresham, who I don't think's missed a game almost since debut, uh, fracturing an eye socket, which was straight after the halftime siren. He got cleaned up in the middle of the ground, and H will be missing him for at least the next two, and you'd imagine probably all three. It sounds like all three weeks, but I mean. <laughs> The Sydney game's not going to be a key game now, so I mean, if if he's out for another week, it's not really going to hurt us now. Um, as well as good as it would be to win the last game, there's no point trying to risk him if it's not 100. Um, percent Give someone else a go, see what they can do. Hopefully, yeah, we might find something different somewhere, and let's try things. It's a nice full stop on what's been an absolute turd of a season injury-wise for the club that they should lose Jade Gresham uh, in the in the back end of the year but as we'll discuss a little bit later on a few other players uh, coming back into the fold. Uh, just some some votes here. We'll, we'll go through our three, two and one and uh, who we thought were the standout contributors out of that and then later on we'll obviously discuss who might be under pressure for their spot but uh, three, two and one for you Nick. I, I found it really hard to give three, two and one this week. I thought it was a very even, uh, even performance from a lot of players, and and I think Rowan Marshall was was probably our best in, in my eyes. I think Jack Steele probably the two, and Tim Embry for his he was pretty commanding up forward for us, and uh, has provided a really good target um, in the 
the deep half of, of Ford 50 and um, contests really well. Elite, elite marking target for us and, and you know, very rarely misses when he has, has a good opportunity. Your vote, Sage? Uh, well, I've actually given Steele the three. Um, just his tackling pressure in the middle of the ground, getting his own ball when he's tagging the other team already. Um, he was on Le- oh, sorry, on Sloan for a majority yep. of the game. Um, actually ended up with more possessions than him. So he, he not, as I said, not only negates their key midfielder, but gets the ball for us too. Um, two, I went Marshall. Obviously, again, played another great game. Just not as dominant as what he has been, but gave us enough that we were there and thereabouts, but just didn't quite get there in the end. Um, and one I've actually given to Shane Savage. He really held his own down the back line. Um, the majority of the balls that we turned over in the middle of the field, the uh, intercept marks, were from Savage. Um, ran off his man a few times, made the contests, won us the ball. Uh, I think he really held his own. Yeah, he's had a solid year, that's for sure. I went three to, to Marshall. I thought, again, his ability to keep winning his own clearances by sort of tapping it down to himself. He had way more of the ball than O'Brien, won the hit-outs, hit-outs to advantage, was doing it all over the ground. I gave two votes to Jack Billings. Sort of not his best game, but a, a good, solid four-quarter performer. And, and as both of you have suggested, I think it was difficult to find clear standouts, which is why we've sort of, uh, I guess, spread these votes far and wide. And one to Tim Membry, who was our most influential forward, kicked three, should have kicked four, he hit the post with one, but also took a lot of marks further up the ground. So we'll post this on social, but since round 20, we've only been doing this for a couple of weeks, it's nine votes to Ross, uh, eight votes to Marshall, six votes to Gresham, five votes to Steele, a couple of votes to uh, Josh Bruce and Tim Membry with votes to Hunter Clark, Shane Savage, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're rounding out the votes to this stage. So I thought Dunstan was okay. I thought Wilkie, again, played a, a solid game. You'd imagine he'd get best and fairest votes as well. And I guess a comment on the umpiring. We're allowed to whinge about it on things like this. I thought we uh, we didn't get exactly the uh, the right end of the pineapple on a few occasions. Yeah, there was a couple of times where you'd see one thing called one way and then either not called only a minute or two later and you're sort of a bit like, well, isn't that the same thing? Mm. Um it just it ended the deliberate up being, out of bounds, for example, oh, uh, play on advantage holding, as well. Hold, yeah. There was one holding the ball that I was just like, "How did Adelaide get that one, and we don't?" When it's it's clearly the same. Yeah, they, they can't find unofficial podcasts, can they? I don't think so. <laughs> no, well, it, was, it, was, it was rubbish. It was absolute yeah. garbage for a lot of the game. Well, it wasn't all aimed at though. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't wasn't the worst umpiring of the weekend. At least that's that's one thing uh, in their favour. But um, yeah, a frustrating day at the office. Well, before we jump into the issues of the week, going to do something a little bit different now. We're going to catch up with a very special guest for the first time on Unplugged. In goes Beveridge, lapping again, gathered by Fletcher, handball over the top, this may open it up, no dog, dispossessed by Everett, well done Spider, the big Spider! Look, yeah, Bong was right. I was uh, one of those wayward kids, those teenagers go through the 20s and uh, obviously up to the 30s and then I finally come home. So thank you very much. I really do appreciate this night.
Well, it is our pleasure on the program to catch up with one of our favourites from the Saints. Spider Everett played 180 games for St Kilda between 1993 and 2002. A dual All-Australian, won the best and fairest in 2001 as well. Spider, thanks for jumping on. No, it's always a pleasure. It's great to, to be a part of it. And, you know, when you're retired after a few years, anything to do with footy, you still got to put your, you know, try and put your hat in the ring to keep yourself out there. Going to uh, plonk you on the spot first up. We've been at the time that we're recording this podcast. It's the anniversary of Robert Harvey playing his first game for the Saints. So we've been reminiscing on favourite Robert Harvey memories. Is there one that stands out? I mean, you were his teammate oh. for uh, probably eleven years or thereabouts. So is there one thing in particular that stands out for uh, for Robert Harvey? Do you want to give one or two or ten? No, look, um, I often say that, you know, I won, won Robert Harvey back-to-back Brownlows because uh, a Rover's only as good as their Ruckman. So if I decide to hit it to Nathan Burke that year or a couple of other players, Harves would never have been in the in the show. So uh, I try and claim that. Not really, uh, yeah, he did deserve them, uh, especially when, you know, he won the first one, unfortunately, after, you know, um, Dingo got disqualified, uh, and then he he come back in '98 and won it. But halves, I, I suppose, to, like I travelled to Ireland with halves, I roomed with halves uh, in the All Australian team, and he was one not to say a lot. But I just remember on Mad Monday uh, when we used to be allowed to have Mad Mondays those days, uh, and we used to you know, go out and go as hard as we could for you know, pretty much 24, 48 hours. That would always end up for some reason, at a blackjack table. And myself, Robert Harvey, and um, Stephen Ziller, we all drank Jim Beam. So we're all a bourbon drinking. So, yeah, halves would always be at the front of the table playing blackjack, but he'd nearly pass out. So we're always playing with halves' money because he was on the biggest money. <laughs> myself and Ziller would be sitting behind him getting the free bourbon and playing with his money, and he'd be asleep. The only time he'd wake up was every probably, what, 15, 20 minutes, the dealer would go insurance, halves would raise his head, put a couple of dollars forward to put insurance and then go back to sleep for another 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimate teammate. Oh, we loved him. Uh, and one more from me before I hand it over to them, to the boys as well. Uh, probably a painful memory, but one that I have to ask. Would we have won the 97 grand final if you were there, do you reckon? I mean, you're, you're obviously in that sort of form, and we know that Pittman and, and Wren were able to double-team Stewie Lowe in that, that grand final. Is, is that one where you sort of wake up occasionally and think, geez, if, uh, if that shoulder hadn't have popped out, we might have won that flag? Oh, the longer you retired, the more you say, yeah, I reckon by now we would have won by 15 goals. But, um, uh, yeah, look, at the time, you know, you're 24, you know, you think Aussie Jones, Tony Brown, General Smith, this, you know, Matthew Hudson, this young group coming through, we're going to play it every year. So you didn't really think about it. And then when you get to the end of your career and you know that was your only real golden opportunity, you do, you know, Feel yeah, you know, you're disappointed about it, but at the same time, um, you know, Laser Vitovic, you know, had the knee Rico, and myself and him worked really well together. And what I what I, I suppose I missed the most was the fact that myself and Sean Wren, both very similar players, both similar height, and it would have been a really really good battle come the end of the season because we had some good battles throughout the years, and it was just that you know to to, to win the ultimate prize off a really good battle against somebody you respect so much. Would have been awesome, but unfortunately, it was never to be. And we know how, you know, when you look back in history books, how hard it is. You know, 66 since the last, you know, premiership and been there a couple of times, but it's just so tough to get there. So didn't really appreciate it at the time, thinking it's going to happen every year. But now, as soon as you're retired and you see some guys who have 
got two, three, four, you kind of sit there and go, you know what, that was probably our golden opportunity. Now, Spide, Nick Slater here, mate. Thank you for joining us on the pod. Um, from a you know, reasonably painful memory for, for all of us, um, how about your, your, your favourite memory in the red, white and black? Obviously, you, you were there through a couple of you know, really memorable moments for, for Saints fans you know, from 96 Ansett Cup win, um, you know, the, the whole 97 yeah. season, to be honest. What, what's, what's your number one memory? Oh, really, really hard because, you know, I really appreciate the football club. And, you know, when you walk into AFL football and you don't know, you know, majority of us don't know where we're going to be heading you know, outside of school. So you get an opportunity to play footy and then it turns into a full-time career. And, you know, the 96 Ansett Cup and, you know, you have coaches like Stan Ells and, and Tim Watson come in, but then you're playing alongside players like like Robert Harvey, Mickey Winmar, Gilman Cadham, Danny Frawley, um, Stuart Lowe, and the list can go on. So there's so many great memories. But I think um, just the fact of being um, inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, you know, earlier on in the year was probably one of the proudest moments. Um, I was able to have all you know, my, all my girls there and my young fella who hopefully wants to play or he wants to play for the Saints one day. But just um, having all the family there and then not only that, seeing so many of the, the former players from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s and just what the club's been able to build over the last few years is just uh, getting all the ex-players back to build you know, a form of legacy because when I went to other clubs, you know, you go to Adelaide or you go to WA and they have those players in the change rooms. So I reckon it makes a real big difference. So I suppose outside of my playing career, I, I just thought that was a real big highlight for me and really tough to be able to be inducted into the Hall of Fame at the same time being you know, around so many great players of so many great eras. G'day, Spider Aaron here. Um, great to speak to you. Basically, I'm going to go back to pretty early in your career. Um, you came in after we've left Moorabbin, so you didn't see any footy out there. But fourth game in, do you remember where you were playing? What's that, the fourth game in? Fourth game, yep. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, we played a couple of two games at Moorabbin, and you used to, yeah, you used to, yeah, sitting in the change rooms and you'd hear the crowd going off, and then that's when... You know, one of the trainers or one of the one of the coaches would say, "Oh, yeah, Plugger's got the ball," and you could only hear it coming through all the vents of the uh, the change rooms there at Moorabbin, and uh, you just knew when Plugger got the ball because the crowd and the atmosphere was amazing. But fourth round in, yeah, Victoria Park, Nicky yep. Winmar lifts up his jumper and pointed to the uh, the colour of his skin. Scary place to play. Oh, even that day I remember because um, such a historical game in the AFL and you know I've been down for racial vilification but played alongside some of the great, great um, indigenous players and and that day there I remember one a uh, couple of incidents one I went to pick up the ball out of the gutter and I got hit over the head with an umbrella <laughs> and I looked up and I reckon the lady was about 80 and just looked at me and just started laughing and here's what you expect at Victoria Park there was no hot water it was all cold showers but as we're walking off, I reckon, well, it looked like beer, but it was warm. <laughs> I don't reckon it was beer that was tipped on us. So, uh, yeah, look, they, they, they weren't uh, the most respectful crowd, but that's what you love about footy is the, is the passion behind it. And when Winmar done that and 
and made a really big stand. So I remember just the the the, the hype around the change rooms, the the hype around just everybody just not knowing exactly how big this was going to be. Um, you know, even Wimmer in the in the change rooms was actually quite frightened, you know, to, to exit, but. You know, ended up being good and ended up being the biggest statement probably in football history. Absolutely. Now, I guess in terms of modern times, now you excelled in what was a difficult year for the club. So you, you won the best and fairest in 2001 when there was a, a coaching change. Malcolm Blight went out, Grant Thomas came in, which is a position St Kilda finds themselves in now where a coach has been sacked as a caretaker in the role. Can you sort of take us through what that was like in terms of how you dealt with the coaching change, what you were expecting to get out of the back half of the year. And I know you've had your clashes with Grant Thomas over recent times, but but perhaps what got Grant Thomas the job in terms of uh, being appointed after that caretaker stint? Yeah, it's always, it's always tough. And I think this situation is different than Grant Thomas because, you know, Malcolm Blight and you know, Grant Thomas were, were good friends. I remember flying up to the Gold Coast where I live now to get Blighty, and you know, it was, it was. I remember just walking into Zen, which is the Chinese restaurant at Duke, uh, at the casino, which is Star now, and getting on it for the whole night and trying to slide a contract in front of him <laughs> after he'd drunk, and I reckon around about forty-five bottles of red wine. So <laughs> it was, it was a remarkable circumstance. We had Rod Butters and Grant Thomas, and then obviously we know what's happened with Rod Butters and his addictions and everything, and then. Grant Thomas, so that kind of situation, Grant Thomas, I don't think was, um, I suppose, the best person for the job, but at the same time, he was the best person that Butters and everyone knew to, to take over. So, you know, Tomo controlled a lot of the footy club and not just the, the footy side of things. He went on to make, make finals, so he could actually touch. There, there's no doubt about that. But this this time around, I think, with... Um, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, the earlier Saki and now Brett Retton taken over. Um, I think the the selection uh, policy or theory is going to be a lot different. Um, Brett Retton probably being stiff to get sacked out of Carlton in the first place. Um, Deuce and Kilda need a lot more, a couple more players. Yes, um, so it's a, it's a totally totally different, and and every year changes, and we know that. And I always try to tell people this because I live on the Gold Coast at the moment and associated with the Gold Coast Suns where you know, it's so hard to make the top eight, let alone the top four or the top two. You've got to get so many things right. And for the St Kilda Footy Club at the moment, um, you know, back when Grant Thomas was, I suppose, appointed, there wasn't so many... You know, it, it wasn't as harsh as as it is today. You know, 10 years ago, footy wasn't as harsh. You didn't have so many media people covering. You didn't have so many channels. You never, Even though it was still professional, you still didn't have the harshness of what it is today. So, you know, I think they've got their work cut up trying to find the right person because realistically, who is the right person? It's a tough choice because who nuts? Now, Spide, 93, 94, 95, we had a all kind of running, goal-kicking ruckman come in and, and revolutionised that, that position for, for us at, at the footy club. 25 years later, we've got a, another tall, big running, big man who can kick a goal and, and get around the ground in, in Rowan Marshall. What, what are your thoughts on, on Big Row? Yeah, look, I, I watched him last weekend and uh, it was fantastic. And that's, that's what you've got to be able to do, unfortunately. You, know, you look at um, you know, Brody. Uh, uh, Brody Grundy from Colling- yeah, uh, Brody Grundy from Collingwood, and you know you look at Max Gorn. What Max Gorn? I think oh, 
I don't know. There's question marks still over because I think Corey McKernan, uh, you know, those kind of players, Jeff White, uh, really changed that way of how Ruckman played. So I think they've got to be able to play those two positions. As you say, run back, run forward. And I remember through our career, like Dean Cox, these kind of fellas, they were in the top five, top six runners in their football club. So it's no longer with a Ruckman, you know, coming in at the back end, just, you know, trying to, trying to make up the numbers. Now they're actually extreme athletes. They can cover the ground. And as you say, they can actually kick goals. I think it's vital that you've got to be able to play a couple of positions, but you need a couple of them. And you need to be able to, you know, a lot of people, a lot of, um, you know, I suppose media outlets sit there and, and bag the Ruckman and then suddenly, you know, Brody Grundy has a great year and saying, yeah, he's probably in Brownlow, Brownlow middle form, which is great to see a Ruckman actually win at Brownlow. But what he's been able to do is just extend of what you know happened in that 93 94 95 season when the ruckman started to go forward kick goals be creative and and make another avenue so what they often said that what were, what were we were uh we were over in a big man's body that was about <laughs> it now going back to another goal kicker that has revolutionized the game um you get to play with him a couple of couple of years to start with but nick revolt when he first started at the club and came in and did he look, or did you know that he was going to revolutionise the game like he did? The running forward that basically no one could catch. That's yeah. Oh, oh no, there's, there's no way. I remember when he first when he first got drafted, him and Justin Kaziski. I think a couple of days later, you know, they go on these training camps these days to you know high altitude over at San Francisco or over to Arizona, and they do Cape York. You know, they do Kokoda. They do all this. When Nick first got drafted, Grant Thomas took us to Warnable and we went down there by train. <laughs> and it was a bit different to what it is today. But you know, even going down then, um, you know, you look at Nick and I think the way he was able to 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 mould his game and his just his professionalism to get himself right. And when you see somebody and you know, I've been lucky enough to play alongside, you know, I suppose Adam Goods who's who's another person exactly the same who plays multiple games in a row and it's not just through luck it's actually through preparation and recovery and that's one thing that um, you know nick was very very good on his preparation was right he knew what he needed to do and his recovery was just as good so you know being able to be a player of that discipline in in that in that era showed that uh, well it paid dividends in the end so one of the greatest players you know of the afl and also the secure footy club so yeah, I think if anyone out there is listening and any kids are listening, just you know, you go back and think about your your preparation and your recovery until the major things that you know Nick did to get himself right every week. My last one for you. You spoke a little bit off air. We were talking about um, how of all the clubs you've played for Hawthorne and Sydney as well that that you have sort of come back to St Kilda. Uh, I guess in terms of that, is it more about you sort of started with St Kilda, you spent most of your career with St Kilda. We would argue you played your best footy with St Kilda, even though you were good, obviously, elsewhere. But um, it does appear now that your heart lies with the red, white and black, certainly more than the others. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, and, I, and I'm proud to say it. And I know that, yeah, I uh, yeah, went to Hawthorne and, and also Sydney and learned a lot going to those football clubs. And you look back now and everybody would love to be a one-club player like, you know, you you're Robert Harvey, you're still low, you're Danny Frawley, you know, through the years that I was playing Nick Rewalt, but it wasn't to be. But, you know, what I what I love now is the fact that not only just um, being in the Hall of Fame is that you know, you've got 
Kenny Sheldon, you've got Russell Morris, these guys actually building a legacy about the former players. And a lot of the players love getting back there, love talking you know, the old stories, and love getting around the new blokes as well. And most of you know, a lot of us have gone on to do different things and, and love to support and um, you know look after the younger guys going through because we know exactly what it was like when we went through. So, yeah, no doubt I'm, I'm more associated with St Kilda than any other club and really proud to be and want to continue in the future. And, you know, my young fella, you know, we signed him up into the, uh, the St Edge Club this year, so he's trying to um, you know, improve himself through it and, you know, when we go down there, you see Milne's young fella playing there and a couple of others. So, yeah, look, I, I really enjoy it. Unfortunately, I live on the Gold Coast, you know, I can get down there you know, half a dozen times a year. But those half a dozen times a year, you know, we love it. And Spide, you, you touched on the fact that, that players love coming back to, to Moorabbin and, and back to the club. What is it from a, a player's perspective that, that makes the place and, and makes the club so magical? I know as, as a, a you know, 34 you know, year long member and, and fan and it, it's often hard to describe to, to new you know, new supporters or, or, or new uh, footy interested people what it is about St Kilda with our history and, and you know, the losses over the wins and you know, the sacked coaches and, and all that sort of stuff. What is it from a playing perspective that, that makes it so magical? Uh, yeah, look, I think, um, you know, just because, uh, unfortunately, with the Saints throughout the years, there's been a lot of dramas. And as you say, from the coaches sitting on, you know, going to the bottom of the ladder and slowly getting up there, and, you know, you've got so much support out there. And we know we're everyone's second favourite team. And, you know, we have got so many... Um, passionate and good supporters, but as as players, it's just that uh, yeah, as you say, it's that heart and soul of, of football. That's what it is. You know, the Moorabbin to come back to Moorabbin to see. It. I know it's been you know renovated, but you can still walk it down on the ground and just feel. You know what? This is this is what it, that's what footy we play. That that's the footy we play for is the fact that it's such a a tight knit hard football club, and you know we used to have so many great times together, but. Everyone used to say, oh, we're all the party kings. But you know what? There was a lot of teams out there that party harder than us. But we knew that we'd always get to training and, and, and have a ball together. So, yeah, I think... And it, you know what I love about it, too? It's, it's just that the volunteers... I know every club has volunteers, but I, I can wheel off 10, 15 volunteers that have been there even now, um, since you know, ever since I was there. And from the doctors to the physios to the people at the front desk to historians, the trainers, and, and, and that's what builds football clubs and that's what builds cultures. And, and it doesn't matter if you, you go in there to have a beer with you know, a, a former player, a, a former person that ran water or a physio, you know, I still catch up with the doc today. And that, that's what it's about. Is It's just a, it was just a really tight love football club. And I, I don't know, that's, that's, I don't think... Yeah, you got a hundred years of tradition there. That's and and that's the passion that people bring. Yeah, I, I can't see it here on the Gold Coast, and it will take decades and decades for them to build it. So it's hard to explain, but it's one of those things, I suppose. When you're back to the wall, a lot of the time you, you seem to, you know, galvanise a lot closer. Yeah, a little bit after for your after football life, and as you're saying, you're living up on the Gold Coast, and travelling is your thing. Um, Barring a miracle, our pre-season is going to start a bit earlier than a lot of other teams. And so basically, I just want to try to find out from you, um, best location for us to travel to coming up in the off-season and where's somewhere that keeps drawing you back to go 
go visit? Oh, look, I um, to be honest, uh, look, I, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to travel a lot of Australia, New Zealand uh, over the last couple of years doing my travel show. But oh, look, uh, I, I still believe, and I, I was lucky enough to do it when I retired in 2008, and I was, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I had that run-in with racial vilification. So I said, you know what, I want to go out to some of the communities in, you know, the, ba- the back blocks of Northern Territory and WA up around the Kimberleys. And if you can get players to, to go out there, I don't know if you can get a bus, a motorhome, you get some four-wheel drives, and, and go out to some of these communities that absolutely breathe, AFL each and every day and they have not much in their life other than you know sport they struggle to get to school but if there's sport involved they get there it's a really really good eye-opener so for me I'd be going to you know outback northern territory western Australia Tiwi Islands and just uh, getting the boys to really appreciate the opportunity they've got at the same time giving back because a lot of these play a lot of these kids in these communities like three hours west of Alice Springs. You know, you've got to turn left at a tree that's full of beer cans, turn right <laughs> at the sack of tyres and get there. Um, and then suddenly you turn up and there's like, yeah, 50, 60 kids and they're named after Nick Rewalt, Cyril Rioli. Yeah, that's their names. That's what they, they've got other names, but they go, no, no, my name's Nick Rewalt. So <laughs> I think for kids to see, yeah, for, for for people to see that, I didn't see that until my, to the end of my career, but... Absolutely loved it, and I took my daughters along, and they did as well. So I think if I if yeah if I was a coach these days, and I know Hawthorne will go to Kokoda, but you know keeping it local, um, you know going out to some of those communities and some of the really remote ones where you know these young kids don't get to see the legends they absolutely idolise uh, would be enormous for for both sides. Spider, you're a ripper for the Saints. It was always great fun watching you over the journey. Thanks for giving us a, a slab of your time to uh, to have a chat with us this week. No worries at all. Thank you very much. Anytime. Peter Spider Everett there. Fantastic to have him with us on the program. We'll catch up with plenty of other former Saints over the coming weeks. Time to jump into the issues of the week. The Big Issues. And we'll also, in this segment, get some of your uh, fan mail as well, or if we can call it fan mail, that might sound a little bit cocky. Listener interaction uh, via Twitter, via Instagram. We'll go through all of those socials for you uh, a little bit later on. But um, before we do that, confirmation uh, from various media sources that Brad Hill will request a trade from Fremantle back to Victoria. Uh, Speaking to a lot of people, we're favourites in that race. A lot has to play out in terms of the Canelio deal and whether that brings other clubs into into the party to a Geelong deal with Fremantle on Tim Kelly or just West Coast but Brad Hill at this stage from multiple sources and good sources guys like Tom Morris and John Ralph and these sorts of people suggesting that St Kilda are favourites and I guess the other one is Jack Stephen again Alan Richardson was on SEN during the week heavily linked to Geelong and we believe the likes of Charlie Constable in offer but I guess what do we feel or how do we feel about both of those H, uh, Jack Stephen, you would think more likely than not is going to end up at the Cats, unfortunately. But Brad Hill would be a reasonable replacement. Yeah, the more we hear about Stephen week after week after week, it just seems like it's going to happen. Um, I think we have to deal with that. Give him a give him a game this week. Get him back in. Last home game. Build the currency. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just send him off in the right way. Mm. I mean, he he has served as well. He's won multiple best and fairest. We we can't disown him really. It's it's 
it happens in our game. Look, he's, he's been a wonderful servant of the Absolutely. for a long time. And as you said, multiple best and fairest things. He's got four. Um, you know, been our best player for, you know, if not the majority of his career, then then certainly for, for a lot of it in, in times when, you know, Rewalt's been out injured or, or whatnot. But the... Where, where there's smoke, there's fire, and, and you know, he's, he's from down that way. Uh, he's had a really tough year, probably wants to be, you know, back with the family and, and close to the family, where he's, where he's more comfortable. And, and, you know, for a guy like that, that that's done as much as he has for our footy club, you can't really begrudge him that at the, at the end of his career. Yeah, that's right, and, and we'll wait and see what happens. Brad Hill, as we said, a lot has to happen, but that would be a, a great inclusion, and, and we also, from what we can gather from various news sources, that, that Brad Scott, there was some talk about whether he was – uh, even keen to coach again in 2020 or whether he wanted a year off. But uh, it's believed that both Carlton and St Kilda would interview him if he was keen. And, and I would hope that we would interview him because that's just due diligence, whether it is Brat Ratton or not, at least interview the sample size and, and get a feel for it. I know some people made fun of North Melbourne, rightly or wrongly, for their exhaustive process that interviewed one person. But I think they've made the right call, North, on the side note. But, um, yeah, there's no harm in at least speaking to people. But that, that Brad Scott one still centres around the service. But I couldn't see anyone else other than those two coaching yeah, us. Well, you're like anything, you give yourself multiple options yeah. and take the best. Um, whether anyone else really comes into the, into the equation, uh, no one's really jumped out yet, but... Yeah, that's at least two that we can have a look at and work out who's the best out of those two. I I think we would give serious consideration to Robert Harvey if he put his hand up and, and wanted to interview yep. for the for yep. the position. Um, you know, he's kind of skirted around the edges of, of that so far uh, over the last month or so. But like you said, you've got to do your due diligence. He's very highly rated as an assistant coach. They seem to love him um, as midfield coach at the Pies and... Um, you know, everyone speaks very highly of him. So you'd, you'd have to give him at least the opportunity to come in and present. I agree. And a few from our socials as well. So facebook.com forward slash unplugged, at unplugged on Twitter. Uh, is, is it also at, what's the Instagrammer again? Unplugged podcast. Unplugged podcast, that's yep. the one. And, uh, of course, unplugged at gmail.com. Uh, so Scott Kevin via Twitter says, I can't remember if it was covered in depth last week, but any thoughts on the Waters saga? Any reasons or knowledge why he hasn't returned as an assistant when stat coaches have generally returned somewhere? I think the last statement in that probably says a little bit, Scott, to be honest. And I've loved that series, the Sacked podcast, but I haven't listened to that one. And uh, speaking to a lot of people that sort of are around the club at the time, during the time, that was a decision that St Kilda had to make. I've worked with Scott Waters, lovely fella, but... Um, yeah, put it this way, the club made the right call. Yeah, look, I, I have listened to that podcast, and I think depending on what your perspective is on that situation, he either comes across as very honest and personable or very bitter uh, about what, what ultimately happened at the end. Um, not sure we'll ever get the full truth about what happened, but there's certainly different elements uh, of the story that you hear from different parties. Um, it's, a, a, I guess, a pretty strange part of our history in a club that's got a very strange history. Um, yeah, I'm not sure there's too much in it as to why he hasn't returned as assistant coach. Um, you know, I think he kind of took some time off and, and ended up realizing that he kind of enjoys being out of footy. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of strange when he actually did come in at first too, cause he sort of came out of nowhere. It was like Richardson was actually, I think, dead favorite to win the job that, in that, time, that yeah. time. Yeah. So and certainly the most qualified from my remember of, mm-hmm. of all the candidates that, that presented at, at that stage. Yeah. And, and, um, yeah, as, as we've said on a, off air, and I'll throw this out there on air, and if there's any ramifications, so be it. Uh, speaking to people at his uh, former Waffle Club, uh, they 
after the fact notified St Kilda and said all you had to do was ring us and you wouldn't have hired him. So we can people can read into that whatever they like, but not a lot of due diligence done, unfortunately, by the club before that appointment. But a few others. George Poulos off Twitter with a good nomination for hold or fold. That's probably one that we'll definitely, I reckon, delve into once the dust has settled on the season in terms of holds and folds. Um, I've also got one from... Poker Saint on, on Twitter, um, who said St Kilda should trade Jake Carlisle while he has some value. His lack of defensive effort and general demeanour is pathetic. With Wilkie and Battle coming along this year, we can afford to lose a nearly 29-year-old man-child. Agree or disagree? I think he's 27, but um, I wouldn't say lack of defensive effort and general demeanour. He has the odd brain explosion, usually one a game where he'll do something outrageously bad, but... I think the good outweighs the bad significantly. He's intercept marking. He's one-on-one play. He's beaten Tom Lynch this year. He's had a, a couple of significant wins uh, against uh, some pretty good players. So I think we, we battled for a long time without him. Um, I still think he's pretty important, given that Nathan Brown, who's held up quite well, is clearly on the verge of retirement, you would think. Yeah, I wouldn't be getting rid of him anytime soon. Um, we've, we've Basically, if you go to a game... Uh, I was against the Bulldogs the other week. I was sitting right down on the ground level, and he, he marshals the back line. He just puts him in position. He's telling him, cover this space, cover that space. He he controls what happens down there. And it if you look at it, it worked. And I think sometimes people can get, I guess, sucked into that idea that he is a bit uh, lackadaisical and, and that lack of, of defensive effort. Um, I, I kind of feel like he's in that category of, of guys like uh, Nick Del Santo, Scott Pendlebury, who make things look easy and they make, make, they're, they're not the quickest guys, but they are putting in effort um, and they have the ability to make things look really easy. And, and we forget sometimes how good of a player Jake Carlisle is and, and has been. I think he's shown flashes of, of being able to get back to that sort of form in moments. He, he has, he's been out most of the year with a really debilitating injury. And, and I think for a guy his size, we often take for granted how long it can take for, for big guys to, to come back from those sorts of injuries um, and, and get his mobility back, his agility, his, the strength in his legs to contest you know, on the ground and, and in the air. But um, I, I really feel that he's, he's an important part of, of our spine and our structure moving forward. Um, and, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be moving him on anytime soon. A few else. Uh, any others you like from there, Hayes? Um Dirty Birds ask about uh, what's happening with Brandon White. I mean, he's playing very good in the VFL at the moment. Um, he's picking up multiple, oh, lots of possessions every week and actually playing quite good football. Um, do we know what's going on with him or not? I don't know. I get the feeling they went McKenzie because he beat Eddie Betts in round six and they thought maybe he could do that again. But, yeah, Brandon White gets a lot more of the footy. And he played one game, which was against the Gold Coast in Townsville, uh, got injured early, I think got a corky or something, and then played the rest of the game in the forward line and then went out of the side with that injury. So, um, yeah, I, I would certainly be giving him another crack. He's a good user of the footy. I remember that when he first started. He was a guy that you you felt fairly safe when he had the ball in his hands. So yeah, I would agree with, uh, with that from, from Daniel that, you know, for whatever reason, I think he got injured at the wrong time. But, yeah, I, yeah. I get the feeling they just didn't pick him because they thought McKenzie was a better matchup for Eddie Betts. Probably would have stayed in if he hadn't been injured, yes. yes. Yeah. Um, and a few of those in regards to sort of the, the postseason as well. Just one last one before we uh, get into the match committee from Tim Rosen. Was it a mistake playing four key defenders without a matchup simply because Battle deserved to be in the 22 and Brown's form warranted a spot? Also, was Parker Loney Langland's long hind too many playing similar roles? Uh, well, um, Battle was actually named in the forward line to start, so that was a interesting lineup. Um, he 
as I saw, I think maybe the early momentum that Adelaide got may have forced their hand of putting him down the back and seeing what actually could happen, uh, whether the matchups weren't right or because um, they did get out very early, very easily. Um, his ball use out of the back line too, generally very good. So might have been just a matchup thing. Um, had had to swing him down there and play him from there. We, we did mention it briefly last week, I think, when the the talk was that uh, Jenkins was going to miss and, and potential to have too many tools down back uh, if Battle came back in. Um, it, I guess it kind of turned out a little bit that way, but um, Battle Battle needs to play. Uh, I think he needs to be in the team. He's he's going to be a really important player for us for a, for a very long time. Um, Wilkie again needed to play. Brown did not deserve to be dropped. He, he's no. played some yeah. very good, very solid football, and and has been probably our best um, big man defender all season. Um, if you count Wilkie as I guess kind of that the more medium to small size, but. Um, yeah, I, I guess in, in hindsight, it, it does look a bit that way when, when you look at the quality of their small to mid um, guys that, that can really cut a team up with their, their pace and, and foot skills. And Benji reminiscing about the old sensational days. That'll come. We'll definitely reflect on that as we go forward. Uh, to Timothy, yes, we'll continue the podcast in part during the off-season, looking at some of our off-season moves, trades and drafts, etc. And Christian says, would you bring in Hannah Stephen and Webster this week if all three are fit to play? Well, we'll discuss that now for the match committee. Hi, Saints fans. Welcome to the Round 21 Injury Report ahead of our game against the Dockers at Marvel Stadium on Sunday afternoon. Jade Gresham will be sidelined for a couple of weeks after fracturing his eye socket on Saturday night. You'll see the specialist tomorrow, so we'll update you next week on his progress. Blake Akers is progressing well with his shoulder injury. He'll uh, need to get through training on Thursday to make himself available, but he was exceptional today, so we expect him to be available for selection. Our sick boys are looking likely to play this week, so Dan Hanabry, Jack Nunes and Ben Patton have all recovered really well after a tough weekend, um, but they're on track to train on Thursday and also be available for selection. An update on our skipper, Jaron Geary. We've decided to rule Gears out for the rest of the season. It would have been a bit of a race against the clock to get him back, so now he can just focus on his rehab and get right for the start of pre-season. And lastly, another update on one of our long-term injuries. Max King, uh, progressing really well. He ran twice last week on the Alter G and he's actually run twice outside as well. So he's doing some work with our running coach and progressing really nicely. So he'll have a good pre-season and look forward to him playing next year. And that's the injury report for this week. Looking forward to seeing a big crowd for our last home game for the year on Sunday afternoon. Go Saints. So as we spoke about a little bit earlier, Jay Gresham to miss as a result of that fractured eye socket sustained in the Adelaide game. Andrew Wallace, the Saints physio, with an update there for the St Kilda injury wrap. Good news apart from that and really good news with Max King too. I think everyone's pretty excited about what Ben's doing up on the Gold Coast. Not for anything sinister like poaching him down, but more... You know, if we're seeing him perform that well and, and Max King's considered to be at least the equal, perhaps a little bit better, that's a very exciting prospect, hopefully, when uh, the 2020 preseason does roll around in earnest. So I guess starting off with that, as we look to Fremantle, who had one of their best wins of the season on the weekend against Geelong, so they're back in a bit of form and they are mathematically a chance of playing finals. Uh, they've got, I think, Essendon at home and then Port Adelaide away after us, so it's not an easy draw for them, but... Uh, they're the big ones. Dan Hanabry 
a lot of people, and, and I put my hand up asking the question about the gastro last week, and turns out it was legit because half the group had it as well. Um, Jack Stephen, another solid showing in a sandy side. They got flogged by Essendon. Uh, and Jimmy Webster probably has done enough. What are, we, what are we thinking in terms of changes? Yeah, I think you'll find, well, with least Gresham out, uh, yeah. one of those three are definitely an in. Um, I'd say Hanbury's probably the change for him. Um, then other players, we had a few that struggled, so chances are that we are going to swing the axe on a couple of them. Yeah, Langlands, and, yeah, Langlands might need a spell. Nunes, uh, I think, plays. Yeah, he comes in as well. It's It's... It's one of those weeks where we didn't play great, so there's definitely a look at, yeah, some changes will be a good idea to have you this week. I reckon they'll squeeze out, you'd think, one of Parker, Hind, or Long, preferably not Long. Yeah, I think, as, as I said earlier, I think Matty Parker's probably done his dash for the, the season mm. and, and probably needs a bit of a rest. Uh, Nunes, as Aisha said, probably comes straight back in if, if he's good to go. Um, and the the other guys that we mentioned are quality players, and they're in the side if they're available. Mm. Um, they've all played a couple of weeks now, you know, except for for Hannes who who's missed. Um, but I, I think they all come back in if they're if they're fit, and and I believe that they are. I think Steven slots straight back in the middle. Hannabury, if he's fit again, and that's that's a question we've asked most of the year. But if he's fit and, and good to go, he comes in. And he, I think the the goal will be to get him to play a couple of consecutive weeks to finish out the season, get a bit of confidence back in him and, and some miles in the legs heading into what, what needs to be a really strong off-season and pre-season for him. So Gresham, I said it's it's been typical of the year that we've almost been counting down the injury list thinking, oh, it's getting a little bit smaller, players are coming back, but then you get one back and you lose another one. So it's sort of been typical of us the, the whole way through that, that when Jack Stephen was nearing a return, Hanabry went back out of the side and Battle obviously went down too uh, just when Carlisle came back. So it's been, been one of those years, but uh, what are the confidence levels like? I mean... Fremantle were in all sorts of trouble prior to last week. Was that a, you know, a last resistance, or is that a sign that their form is is sort of coming back a little bit? Bearing in mind they've beaten Collingwood and GWS away from home this year. Yeah, well, it is it is Fremantle in Melbourne, and we saw them two weeks ago. Yeah, they were um, putrid. Yeah, yeah. At, at, at uh, Docklands, they're not the best team going around. Mm. Um, we've seen some pretty ordinary performances from them there before. Um, yes, they're fighting for finals. They probably will really coming out there and give it a good go. Um, question is, I mean, yeah, it's a matter of which of their teams turns up. It's, they can be switched on or they can just be absolute putrid. They've, they've put up some very ordinary performances this season. And, and, uh, I think if, if you kind of want to look at, at Frio season as a whole, kind of look at the, the back end of Ross Lyons time at, at St Kilda and some, some similar traits are starting to creep in, I think, into the, into the playing list. Um, they're, they're not running back. They're not tracking back as, as they might've done in previous seasons. They're not supporting the teammates as much as they could. Uh, even when they do something good and, you know, kick a good goal or, or take a big grab, not getting around each other as much as they normally would. And, and I think that's, um, you know, a, a big trait of, of sides that are, you know, on the verge of being successful or, or being successful. And, you know, they've proven to be, you know, when, when the pressure's on, they're, they're not much chop this season. And this is a really winnable game for us. I think probably out of the, the last three, this is the one that we really should win out of all of them. And Carlton will be tough. Sydney and Sydney's always tough. Um, this one, you know, we should really put the stamp on, on our season um, at home, our last home game, and, and you know, give, give the fans something to cheer about in the last home game.
And the equation, just before we wrap up, if St Kilda are to make the eight, which is not mathematically impossible yet. So what St Kilda would need is for Adelaide to lose all three games, which is against uh, West Coast in Perth, Collingwood in Adelaide, Bulldogs in Ballarat, possible, but you think they might jag one. We'd need Port Adelaide to only win once, and they play, that's the worry, because they've got Sydney at home and Fremantle at home, and the other game is North at Marvel, which they could lose. So we need them to only win one. We need the Bulldogs to only win one, and that needs to be Adelaide in the last round, which means that we would need them to lose to GWS away and Essendon. So they're Very possible. Yeah, and we and obviously if we beat Fremantle, we take them out of business. So they're the equations. It's unlikely because I think Port would win one of those two home games uh, that they've got. Uh, or both of them. Actually, we need them to not win. Yeah, we need them only win one more yeah. game. So they can win one of them. We can't have them win both. So. Oh, we, need, we need to win fairly convincingly. Yeah, Correct. Well. So um, it's unlikely, but it's not impossible. So fingers crossed. Go, go Saints for Sunday at uh, 1 o'clock. Keep those correspondence coming through. Facebook.com forward slash Unplugged. Twitter at Unplugged. Uh, at Unplugged Podcast on Instagram. Unplugged at gmail.com. Boys, hopefully win number nine and maybe a, a light flicker for Sunday. Yeah, it'd be nice to go down and watch watch the final home game, get a win under the belt. Um, I did read today all members' names will be displayed on the banner. Um, just another little thing for all the members this year. Um, so get down there, last home game. Cheers, home. Yeah, support the club. We want to finish the year off really strong, and, and as I said earlier, get the get the miles and the legs into a, a really strong off season, pre season, and and come back next year with with a, a group of really exciting, promising kids to join the group, um, you guys like King and, and Bytel, which really you know should be banging down the door for, for round one um, positions in, in the squad. And, uh, you know, if we can can win one, two, even three of the last couple of games, even if we don't make September action, it's it's a really important thing for us to finish the year strong and, and uh, build some of that confidence going into the next season. And we can start it on Sunday. Go Saints. This is Unplugged, talking all things red, white and black.